Look, if you would, in Luke chapter 6. We're continuing our reading through the gospel, our teaching through the gospel of Luke. And uh, today we find ourselves in Luke 6, verse 12 through 19. Very, very familiar passage. In fact, if you you do a lot of memorization, internalization, one of the things you're often taught is to learn the twelve apostles. And so in today's text, we see Christ selecting those men. Look, if you would, in Luke 6, 12 and following. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you know I'm weak this morning. I I pray for clarity of thought. I, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that I would just be a vessel used today Lord, teach us. Be our teacher today. Open the Word of God to us that uh, we might learn and draw closer to you. And uh, Lord, help us to apply uh, what it is that you would have us to apply. Lord, search our hearts. Know us. Consume us. Lord, if there be any wicked way within us, reveal it that we might confess our sin, that we might turn to our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness needed. And so, Lord, I ask for your power today. And we'll give you the praise, for we ask it in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's message is entitled, Be a Learner of Christ. Be a Learner of Christ. You know, up to this point in Luke, we have seen that Jesus has been battling the Pharisees, if you will. They are constantly following. The scribes are constantly following, seeking to find accusation. And we've seen a lot happening up to this point in Luke's record. Again, remember, Luke doesn't always record things in a chronological order. He is writing thematically, and he's wanting to make certain emphasis in certain points. And so now we find ourselves in this uh, very crucial, climactic, almost a turning point, if you will, in the ministry of Christ. I believe at this point Christ is realizing that, though He's known all along, but at this point it's time to move into the next phase of ministry, if you will. It's time to select 
those who will carry on His mission. Because death is approaching. It's within sight. Now's the appointed time. Now it's the Father's will for Him to begin to prepare because His time is limited to teach certain followers to entrust into them certain gifts, certain power, certain ability to be an extension of His ministry. It's also at this point that He's amassed a huge following. And anyone who's been in any type of leadership, in in any type of business, a classroom setting, whatever the case, when you start to grow, you need some helping hands. We find this principle in the Old Testament. You remember Moses when, uh, and I just can't imagine, he's trying to handle all of these cases and deal with all of these things that the the Israelites are are bringing to him. And his own father-in-law gave him the suggestion, no doubt given to him by the Lord, Hey, you need, you need to delegate. You need to get some helpers. You need to set up some men to deal with some of these things. Well, Christ is getting ready to select and call to Himself twelve. Twelve apostles. Notice the first thing that happens, though. My first point is prayer. Notice verses 12 and 13. Now it came to pass in those days that He went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And we can stop right there because there is a great example, a great point for you and I to glean from that short text. And I don't know your situations right now, but some of you may be facing difficult decisions. You may be standing at a crossroad in your life. There's a decision to be made. Let this serve as a great point. Here's God incarnate, the Son of God. And He's getting ready to make a decision. And He goes, gets alone, and seeks the will of the Father. There's a great lesson in that, folks. Here's part of the Godhead. And yet, realizing his role as the Son of God, he submits his will to the will of the Father. And he goes and he gets alone in a quiet place, begins to pray in the mountain. We're not sure which mountain this is, uh, but uh, no doubt he, uh, he has found a quiet place. And, and I'm wondering, you have a quiet place? Do you have a place where sometimes in life you just shut everything out? Cut everything off. When's the last time we've done that? When's the last time I've laid down the iPod, cut off the computer, shut the TV off? Just got along with God in prayer. Gang, we can stop right there. That, that could be our message today. We could go home and, and somebody's probably saying, Hey man, that's a short message. You need to stay out late more often. No, we're not ending there. I'm just saying we could stop right there. Because there's a great reality in that, isn't there? Man, life's busy today. Somebody said busy means being under Satan's yoke. That's true oftentimes, isn't it? We have all these gadgets that are supposed to help and enhance life. And what does it do? It just speeds up life and it chokes out life. 
And those things that are priorities seem to just kind of fall to the wayside. Can I encourage us, church? Boy, we need to just get some alone time with God, don't we? Find your mountain. Find your mountain and just get with God. Take some time this week. Shut off something and just go be alone with God. Seek Him in prayer, especially if you're facing decisions. Christ did this. And we find Him in this quiet place. And and notice what He does. It says that He prayed, He continued all night in prayer. Now, I joke while I go about, you know, sleeping on the drive home. But I'm going to tell you what. I'm not a young buck anymore. That's hard to stay up, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I was down at some, uh, some, some of those uh, coffees and uh, 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 Carver hooked me up with a, a Mountain Dew to chase it down with. I mean, man, I was, you know. But I'm going to tell you, it was hard to just stay focused, stay awake. Now, <laughs> I know none of you ever struggle in your prayers about staying awake. Do you? Don't answer that. We all do, don't we? Sometimes, especially, you know, depending upon when you pray out, morning, day, night, whenever is your really designated prayer time. Let's be honest. I think we all suffer from the laundry syndrome. Anybody know what the laundry syndrome is? It's when you're praying and you're saying, Dear Lord, I, I just uh, I pray that you give me help, you guide me today in my life. And uh, Lord, I just, I wonder if I, did I fold that laundry? Did I get that? Oh, and uh, also, dear Lord, I'm sorry, I was... Yeah, we, don't, sometimes your mind just drifts in the middle of prayer, doesn't it? Now, Sister Better and you is going, that never happens to me. Anyway. We've got to find that alone time. Here Christ spends all night in prayer, and, and, and there's something I want to point out here. This is very good. There's a couple of words that are used here in the original language, and so we don't get it. We don't get the real emphasis of this, these two verses here in the English language. So let's see if we can kind of uh, capture the thought here. There's a word that's used, and I am going to butcher the pronunciation. Remember, this is Southern Greek. Dianuk teriuo. Don't ask me to repeat it. It literally means to endure through the night. That's what the word there is used, that he continued all night in prayer. It's this idea that he, um, and, and we have to use several words in English to just get the thought there, but there's actually one word in Greek, and that one word, when it's used, it basically means that he, he, that he expressed some effort that went on through the night. It's not like you would normally say, uh, you know, it was dark all night, or, or I slept all night. It's not used in that sense. But we read it in English, and that's sometimes maybe kind of how we just brush over it. Oh, I slept all night last night. No, 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 that's not what it's an emphasis. It says that he continued all night in prayer. And so the idea here is that you would, you would only use it to express some effort that went on through the night. Uh, MacArthur has a great note. He goes on and says this about verse 12. He said he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Notice that little phrase? You may want to circle that, to God. Actually, in the Greek, it says he spent the whole night in the prayer of God. Huh. Interesting. We find that he was not only man, 
but here he is God. It is the prayer of God. And what that indicates to us is that he is now engaged in inter-Trinitarian communion. MacArthur goes on and says, it is the very prayer of God that is going on there as the two members of the Trinity are communing with one another. So here is Jesus in his humanity having to pray all night to get clarity on this matter and Jesus in his deity praying the very prayer of God. What that means is his prayers were all perfectly consistent with the mind and the will of God for he himself was also God. And therein do we see again the incredible mystery of His humanity and His deity brought together. We also see, point two I want to emphasize, is the people. Notice verse 13. After being on the mountain, after seeking God in prayer, communing with God... He comes down when it was day. He called His disciples to Himself. Again, that word disciple. You know, oftentimes we think of the word student. But the best word probably there to be used is learner. You see, these disciples, and by this point, Christ has probably accumulated over a hundred disciples. Learners. Wherever he would go into these synagogues and go into towns, people would come out. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to sit and listen to him. And, and it's different. You know, we think of a student, it's just kind of you go and you go and you leave. But as a, as a learner in this day, there would be like if there was a rabbi, he would have disciples, learners, who would basically follow him. Learn from him. And at this point, Christ has accumulated over a hundred plus learners that were following him. Now, we have specific ones that have been mentioned, but at this point, you can imagine, here's a hundred plus, and it's growing. And so now, Christ is at a point to where he has to, from these folks, choose twelve. And fulfilling the will of the Father. So what does he do? He called His disciples to Himself. And from them, He chose twelve. You remember John, He said, You did not choose Me, I chose you. He chose twelve whom He also named apostles. Now, this word apostle, and I understand, I think Pastor Dean hit on some of this the other week, um, but let me just kind of give you a nutshell thought here on apostle. Because we live in a crazy day, and uh, in fact, I had someone call me the other week and wanted to know about this very thing. What is an apostle? And so, I took some time and, and tried to explain as best I could. But, let's look at it this way. I think this is an easy, easier way to kind of understand it. You know, every, the word is only as good as its definition, right? If we don't have a proper understanding of the word, we can misunderstand. For example... Um, if I use the word saved, what does that mean? Give us some context. A lot of people use terms like salvation, 
A lot of term, people use words like grace. But what if I'm speaking to a Mormon? And I just use, you need the grace of God, you need to be saved. They would say, yes, amen. But we're not on the same page, are we, with the Mormon? Jehovah's Witness may use some of these terms. Catholic Church may use certain terms. We've got to be careful with our words that we're understanding what these words mean. We need proper definition, proper understanding. So let me give you some definition here on apostle. First off, I want to say there is actually, Scripture refers to the apostle. There's one. Jesus Christ is the apostle. What do I mean? Turn to Hebrews 3.1. Don't take my word for it. Look at the Scriptures. Hebrew 3.1. Hebrews 3.1. Therefore... Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Scripture refers to Jesus as the apostle. What does it mean? The sent one. He is the sent one from the Father. The Father sent the Son, so in that definition... That understanding, he is the apostle. But there's also in Scripture what's known as the office of apostle. Office of apostle. We find this, if you want to look over in Ephesians. Ephesians 2.20. You don't have to turn. If you just want to listen, I will read it. Ephesians 2.20 says uh, the following. having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, this office of apostles is exactly what Luke is hitting on here in this text. This number of twelve has been set by Christ. So when it comes to the office of apostle, there are no more. I don't care what the church down the road says on its sign, come here apostle, brother so-and-so. There are no new apostles. The office of apostle was established by Jesus Christ after the time in the mountain praying communing with the Father, He comes down, He summons all of the disciples to Himself, and of those disciples, He chooses twelve to be the sent ones from Him representing His ministry. And in so doing, we'll find later, He actually gives them power and ability to do certain things that are no longer being done today. Very important to understand this. You know that passage in Ephesians 2.20 as I was studying this, it, it hits me. You know, this is, this is great. How do we know? Again, there's no, there's no more disciple, no more, I'm sorry, no more apostles today. Well, let me give you a perfect illustration. In case you have not seen, we are rejoicing around here this week, in the past couple of weeks. We first got ecstatic because we got a porta john outside the gym. Woo! And this week, we're bubbling over, which is probably why it's raining so much. 
We've got a foundation poured behind the gym. If you haven't seen this, folks, I'm telling you, this is good stuff. We have a foundation of concrete that's laid out there. Check it out. Now, MB has been doing this for many, many years. And I'm sure Mr. MB can tell you, he's not going to go out there and on that foundation, build another foundation and build another foundation and continue to do nothing but put foundations upon foundations. It's not how we do it. I'm no genius, but that correct, Mr. MB? That's not the way we build, right? We start with the foundation. That's done. That Ephesians 2.20 speaks of the reference to apostles being the foundation. Christ is the chief cornerstone. We don't need a bunch of cornerstones. There's only one cornerstone in the building process. Christ Jesus. The foundation has now been laid. We're going to get some framework going up soon, praise the Lord. And that's what begins to happen. And guys, guess what? We are part of that building. So, again, don't let anyone tell you that apostles are around today. They're not. The office of apostles, according to Scripture, was established here. After communing with God all night in prayer, Christ calls to himself, he chooses the twelve. And by the way, these would be the ones who have actually seen the resurrected Christ. I know you hit on some of that. Um, Judas betrays Christ, and eventually Paul will be appointed later. And you remember the road to Damascus. He sees Christ. So, those are the apostles. Now, again, want to be careful. You know, we meet other brothers and sisters, and no doubt they may know the Lord, and they may not understand this point, so we want to be careful with with how we engage this. And, And I will say, I'm okay, as long as it's defined, with understanding even a third idea of apostle. I don't like to use that term. Because again, I think the two that we just looked at are what's clear in Scripture. But I have heard good brothers and sisters go back and forth in discussion on this, that there is a little A apostle. Little A apostle. (laughs) And the idea here is that this is um, representative, a sent one, like a missionary is sent to do missions work. And they would consider them as a type of apostle. And that's fine. If you want to talk, you know, I'm not going to argue with you about that. Some people want to get real technical on those things and try. But but again, as long as we understand there is only one, the apostle, Jesus Christ. There is an office of apostle, which is the foundation, and it's been laid. As long as we got those two things clear and understood, there's no apostolic gifts being done today. I haven't witnessed anyone being raised from the dead. Maybe you have. I'd love to see the video footage. Um, which Benny Hinn you know, said he had some video footage of a ministry they did one time and they were raising the dead. And when this watchdog group came in and asked and demanded to see the videos, they conveniently had lost them. So, <laughs> Point is, folks, there is no longer the need for this office. Now, I will say this, Scripture does speak of another group of apostles, false apostles. And I would probably venture to say that's the one Benny belongs in. And I don't mind saying that, because Scripture names people. 
and I don't mind naming them, because if you're watching him, you need to turn your channel. I'll just say it straightforward. Um, so we have false apostles. Scriptures reference that, those who, who go out and preach and teach lies. But let's move on to some more profitable things in our study. Notice the 12 here in the text that Christ chooses. Now, I had thought about it one time. Maybe we could just spend one message on each apostle. But it's already going to be a hard enough time getting through the Gospel of Luke before the Lord returns, which he could return today. But, I mean, you know, within the next five-year plan, uh, we probably want to push on. So let me do this. I'm going to kind of give you some description of some of these disciples. And uh, I hope you'll find this interesting. Some things maybe you did not know. Let's take a look at some of these. Peter. Now, whenever you find a list of the apostles in Scripture, Peter is always named first. In all three lists, when you find the listings, you always find Peter first. And we know Peter. He was the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. A lot of us can relate to that. Um, Peter, you may not know this, but he was in his death, he was crucified head down by request as an unworthy way of dying. He did not believe that he was worthy to die in the same manner in which Christ died. So he requested that his head be put down. So he was, he was crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew, the brother of Peter. Now Andrew was the, uh, also known as the apostle of small things. It's kind of a little phrase, nickname that uh, has been said about him. He's the brother of Peter. He was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Patras, Greece. James known as the Apostle of Passion, or James the Great, as he's known, the older brother of John, was beheaded in Judea. Now, next on the list, we see John. And this is John, who wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd. He also wrote Revelation. Now, what you may not know about John is John is actually the one that we know um, lived and died of old age. But prior to that, he was boiled alive for his faith. Literally, boiled alive, asked to recant Christ, and he refused. He lived... So you can only imagine in his latter years, he was probably very disfigured and very scarred. He was cast into exile for a while, but he eventually died of old age. Philip, by the way, John was known as the apostle of love. Jesus referred to him as the beloved, his, his loved disciple. Philip! Philip's known as the bean counter. Any bean counters in here? Philip's the bean counter. Uh, Philip, after years of preaching to barbarous nations, Philip was stoned, was scourged, imprisoned, crucified, and buried with his daughter. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, the guileless one, um, Bartholomew was beaten 
and then crucified in India. Matthew, the tax collector, we just studied about him. Matthew was killed with a weapon that had a blade and spike in approximately 60 A.D. Thomas, the twin. Thomas was thrust through with a spear in India. Many of you know Thomas's Downing Thomas. And that's a bad rap. Poor Thomas. He had one bad day. Nobody wants to forget it, you know? I mean, you know. Thomas is actually the one, if you look back in the, in the Gospels, when the, after Lazarus died and, and, and the other disciples were kind of hesitant about going back into town because they knew the Pharisees and folks were trying to seek Jesus to kill him, Thomas was actually the one who said, let's go and die with him. We give him a bad rap, don't we? Old Downing Thomas. Somebody said he's, uh, Missouri, he's like the Missouri State. Anybody know what the Missouri State is, what their slogan is? The show me state, that's right. Thomas is show me. Yeah, he, he, he wouldn't believe it unless he saw it. Um, James, James the Less. I, maybe James the Less was shorter or something than James the Great. You know, that's a, okay, you're less, you're greater. All right, these two are even. James the Less was beaten, stoned, and then clubbed to death at age 94 in Jerusalem. Then we have Simon the Zealot. And Simon was crucified in Egypt. Judas, brother of James. Now Judas, this is not Iscariot. This is the apostle with three names. So if you're ever reading through Scripture, don't get confused. This is the one that has three names, and you can understand why. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, uh, I'm, not, I'm not Judas Iscariot. No, 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 that's not me. Uh, that, that's him. I'm not that Judas. It's kind of like here, you know, we've got to distinguish if somebody's Mark or Jimmy. We've got like four Marks, three Jimmy, you know, whatever the case. So we've got to distinguish. Here there were two Judases, and, and they, he, the one definitely didn't want to be identified with the other. He's uh, also the brother of James. He's known as Jude or Thaddeus. He was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Judas Iscariot, the traitor. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus and hung himself, falling over rocks on a cliff, splitting open his insides, was the way in which he died. Just in case you're wondering, not mentioned here, but uh, also uh, equated with the apostles was Matthias. He was stoned and then beheaded in Jerusalem. Paul was also beheaded with a sword in Rome. Again, these are the disciples. These are the apostles. And we see this list and we think about Christ, knowing what's going to happen to him and knowing what's going to happen to these learners, these followers of him, and entrust this ministry to them, knowing what the end result's going to be. I wonder, Christian, this morning, when we think about how these followers of Christ, how they met their end, are we so eager to follow Christ? Many say, yeah, I would die for Christ. I would die if my faith depended on it. 
but we have a real hard time living for Christ. This is the team. This is the team that God assembled. And we think about this team. And who do you find in this team? Some fishermen? Tax collector? I mean, think about, think about the resume of this team. This is a bunch of ragtag guys here that God's assembled. Isn't that still the team that God's assembling? I don't know about you, but I am thankful that when God recruits for His team, that's the kind of people He looks for. These guys had failed. These guys weren't necessarily great men in the society, noble men, in the sense of what the society had deemed prosperous and successful. These weren't the religious. You don't find one single priest on there, or religious guy in that sense, do we? Average folks, just like you and me. And I can look around here and look around this room, and I'm going to tell you, it's pretty cool when I look at you and I see all walks of life together in the body of Christ. Because that's the team. And that's the team God assembles. That's the team He's always assembled. That's the team He's assembling today. Mark Driscoll said this, When Jesus is the center, you get a weird team. You guys are a weird team. I'm just telling you. He says, when Jesus is the center, you get a weird team. Because see, if you're Christ-oriented and not cause-oriented... You tuned out, you want to tune back in on this one. These are worth writing down. Listen to this. If you're Christ-oriented and not cause-oriented, you get community and not affinity. Let me say that again. If you're Christ-oriented and not cause-oriented, you get community and not affinity. If you're cause-oriented, you get affinity. All the people who agree with you come together. If you're Christ-oriented, people who disagree on a whole lot of things, they come together. That's actual community. What passes for community in our day is pretty much affinity. Everyone like me hangs out and does what I like. If that's what you're doing, that's affinity. Everybody like me hangs out and does what I like. Community is people totally unlike me because we are Christ-centered. It's all about Jesus. And as we're all walking closer to Jesus as disciples of followers of Jesus, we happen to get closer together and become a team. That's good stuff. You see, what brings you and me closer together in the family of God, you know what pulls you in closer in fellowship? If you kind of are feeling like you're on the fringe, you're maybe just a social gatherer for services of church, you know what pulls you in and makes you a player on the team? Christ as your center. Jesus as your focus. 
Because when we get focused on Jesus, when He becomes central and center in our life, then that's our bond that pulls us together. Yeah, we're not always going to agree on things. We're not going to always see eye to eye on certain things. That's okay. Because we've got Christ at the center. That's community. That's what helps me and you grow. That's iron sharpening iron. That's what we desire. I am so thankful Community Baptist Church is not a cookie-cutter ministry. You know, you've seen the cookie-cutter ministries. Everybody looks like the preacher. They all carry their Bible under the same arm. They all follow him around. They look just like him. You know? You'll hear them say the same quotes out from he. You know, it's just a... It's like robots. That's not what Jesus called. It's not what He called us to. If you want to imitate one, imitate Christ. That's the only one scripturally we're to imitate. Let's move on. Third point, final point is power. Notice verses 17 and 19. And He came down with them. He selected these apostles. He's been in the mountain. He's been praying. He's communing with God. He has the names. He comes down. He calls all the disciples together. From those hundred plus, He selects those twelve. And He came down with them, verse 17, and stood on a level place with a crowd of His disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear Him and be healed of their diseases. Again, his fame is spread throughout. His teaching is spread throughout. These folks know he has the power in the teaching. He doesn't teach like the scribes. He doesn't teach like the Pharisees. There's power in his teaching. They're gathering to hear it. They also know he's been healing the sick. And so those that, are, uh, that have disease, they've gathered there in hopes of him healing. As well as those, verse 18, who were tormented with unclean spirits because they know what he's done. They know what happened in that synagogue in Capernaum. They know he has the ability, the power, this Christ. Who is he? Let's go see. And so they've come to see. They came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch Him. For power went out from Him and healed them all. Here's a case where every single person that was there, it healed them all. Now, this is going to be a good discussion question tonight, and I'm going to leave it for my leaders for tonight, so you may want to go home and do a little study while I take my nap today. (laughs) But what about this today? Is there healing going on? You know, you can turn on the TV and see some of these deliverance ministries, you know? And if you order now, we'll throw in this cloth and oil. Is that biblical healing? We're going to let you open this can of worms in depth tonight. But let me just say one quick and important point. These verses make real clear where the source of power is, doesn't it? doesn't say the disciples, doesn't say the apostles, 
Him. Him. I'll let some of you off the hook. Does God heal today? Yeah. But God heals. You don't need some man to lay hands or you don't have to put your hand to a TV set to get your healing. God's more than able to heal if He should so deem His will. And you know what? Sometimes it's not His will. Am I okay with that when it's not His will? That doesn't mean my faith isn't strong enough. Man, I wanted to rip the TV out the other day when I heard 700 Club man said, some people just aren't healed because they don't have faith enough. Oh, that's terrible. So that's your fault. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. If you ever hear somebody say that, that's a lie straight from the pit. You can just chalk it up as that. You don't have enough faith. That's why you didn't get healed. That's why you didn't get your healing. Lies. That's a lie. God heals on his plan. Not mine. Not yours. And sometimes he says no. And guess what? Here's the awesome thing. Whether he does or doesn't, it's still all for his glory. Amen? I don't need to assume I understand why, because I don't. But I trust. Whether it stays or goes, it's for His glory. And we need to be amen with that. So, anyways, in closing, here's some thoughts to wrap things up. Maybe you're here today, you're facing a big question. Maybe there's a big big decision on your heart. Get alone with God. Get alone with God and pray. That's as plain as I can put it. Get alone with God and pray. Take a few days. Don't make that decision immediately. Spend some quiet time and ask, what is His will? Not my will be done, thy will be done. Jesus knows that kind of prayer. That's the prayer before he went to the cross. I'm thankful that the humanity of Christ, though it cried out, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. We get that. We're frail humans. But I'm thankful Christ went to the cross on our behalf. Not my will be done. Thy will be done. Sometimes, guys, it's a tough road to hoe in that decision but we've got to go. We've got to do it. Thy will be done. Be a learner. Be a learner of Christ. He calls you to Himself. Follow Him. That's as simple as I can put it. Be a learner of Christ. That's a little different than a student. Be a learner. Are you learning of Christ and the ways of Christ and heeding what you're learning? Be a learner. Follow Him. Recognize That Jesus alone heals, delivers, and sets the captive free. Jesus alone does that. He's called you. He's chosen you to represent Him. You are part of His team. You're part of His team. If you are here and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are part of His team. 
Remember your marching orders, Christian soldier. He told us, he reminded us just back here in Luke chapter 4 when he was in the synagogue and, and he came to Nazareth and he spoke in Luke 4.18. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus. He's, he's reading what was written by the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And now He's commissioned you with marching orders to go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things He's taught us. Are we doing that? Are you doing that? That's what He's asked us to do. That's what He's called us to do. He sent you to represent Him. You are an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Let's go be representatives. You know, when I look at these twelve, and I think about the end of their ministry in their life, and I'm reminded of the words of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He said it well. He said, when Christ calls a man, He calls him to come and die. Come and die. And when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, that's what it means to be a disciple. That you go the way of Jesus. You give your life for what He has gave His life to, the glory of God and the good of others for the church.